All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Well, spent a lot of time this weekend in between, uh, you know, my volunteer work for the for the good of humanity, watching Stagecoach. This is Orville Peck from there. He killed it, man. You know, one thing that I that I noticed is uh, it shows how progressive this country is. I don't think I don't think that years ago you could have had a openly openly uh, openly gay cowboy commanding the crowd at Stagecoach. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm making generalizations because Stagecoach is a bunch of rednecks, man, and uh, usually they're not. You know. If you believe the left, they would be crucifying somebody with the LGBTQ AI plus orientation. Well, Orville Peck, he, and he made comments that definitely. I wonder how many people in the audience didn't have no clue that he was gay. I mean, he made a. He's got a song about a, him and a fucking a, a trucker for crying out loud. He's gay as gay as a three dollar bill, which I have no issue with. And apparently, progressive America doesn't either. Progressive rednecks. It's good to see the progressiveness of rednecks is coming to fruition, where gay cowboys can be hailed as heroes at a, an event with 7,500,000 rednecks drunk off of whatever. Good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Anyways, that's the new America that we live in. I'm okay with it, as long as uh, Orville Peck isn't uh, pushed on my kids at school by a teacher. Uh, you, know, you know, whatever. You know, I, last episode, I kept calling him, um, um, not Orville, the other O word. Uh, what is it? The, the, the tattoo artist. What's his name? Um, Oliver. I kept, I Orville, I always mess up his name and I call him Oliver. Apologies to that. Anyways. Uh, let's get on with what's going on. You know, uh, last episode or a couple episodes ago or some somewhere back on the timeline, I was talking about the conspiracy regarding all the food processing plants that have been mysteriously having a lot of accidents, like an, an, an abnormal amount of accidents. I think in the articles that I was looking at, there was almost two dozen, some of them smaller scale, uh, but two dozen incidents at food servicing, food processing plants 
from Canada to the United States. And I was calling for a conspiracy because I like to jump on the bandwagon early, even if I'm wrong. Um, you know, we, we have nothing to show that this is a conspiracy, but you know, you've got planes flying into uh, processing plants. You've got lots of explosions and we know, well, maybe you don't know, but like when you're dealing with grains and stuff like that, the dust that gets created in the air, um, it's very flammable. And like the spark from a forklift can set off a big explosion in these grain processing places. Um, but it seems like I'm not the only one that's screaming conspiracy on this. I see a few more uh, YouTube videos popping up. And then Mr. Tucker in the mainstream, he started to realize that something's going on. And uh, so let's just let's just chime in with Mr. Tucker over here and see what he has to say about this. From the scene right now. This is the second time in a week that something like this has happened. On now, this April 14th, was a few, the plane crashed a few days ago. the Gem State Processing in East Idaho. What's going on here? Well, the story gets weirder. Food processing plants all over the country seem to be catching fire. A couple of days ago, a fire destroyed the headquarters of Azure Standard, one of the largest organic food distributors in the country. At the end of last month, a fire severely damaged a fresh onion packing facility in South Texas. In Oregon, a potato chip processing plant to support a boiler explosion that sent workers to the hospital. Here's a news report on that. Eastern Oregon, where crews are battling a major fire at a potato chip processing plant. Air 12 flew over the scene at Shearer's Foods on Highway 207 in Hermiston. We're told the fire was caused by an explosion of a portable boiler there. Two All people right. were taken to the hospital. Yeah, 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 we get the details. The, the bottom line is a lot of this stuff is going on, right? An, an abnormal amount of this. And this came in this past Saturday that there was another explosion at another processing plant. Uh, this one was in uh, Virginia, I believe, and it's Chesapeake Fire response to an industrial fire at Purdue Farms facility. Uh, and ap apparently this was in a big soybean tank. A fire took place at Purdue Farms facility in the South Norfolk area of Chesapeake Saturday evening. The Chesapeake Fire Department is currently working on an industrial fire at the grain processing and storage facility. We don't need to get into the details, but they, here it is. Once again, this was on Saturday, another fire at a food processing plant. What is going on? Now, we can jump off the cliff of conspiracies and go all over the place with this, but, you know, we've got media, we've got people saying that there's an upcoming food shortage, and then we also have all these processing plants being accidents. Accidents. I mean, that technically, that's what they are. They're accidents. Uh, so we're just going to call it what it is, accidents. But all of these accidents happening at food processing plants combined with the narrative that we're going to have a food shortage, it really seems like we're setting the stage here for something that is not good. Now, are these accidents? Do we really believe that 24, 25 of these incidents are all pure accident? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Now, I don't know anything to confirm that it's not accidents, but it sure does seem like this is this is way beyond coincidence of this much of this kind of thing going on. Um, but I'll tell you what, it is what it is. Now, I'll tell you, if you want to get away from COVID res restrictions, like altogether, where the state can't regulate you, schools can't say anything about your kid being vaccinated, there is a, a heaven, an oasis, an oasis where you can take your uh, cousin's hand in marriage, as a matter of fact, if that's what you're into, and an oasis that is very humid. But there has been a new law passed, and of all places, the wonderful, the wonderful, where, where inbred children run freely to roam the swamps, Mississippi. 
Mississippi has passed a new law. Jackson, Mississippi. Um, Mississippi is enacting a new law that says state and local government agencies cannot withhold services or refuse jobs to people who choose not to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The ban applies to state agencies, city and county governments, and schools. Schools. Community colleges and universities, COVID-19 vaccination mandates have not been widespread in Mississippi, but some lawmakers said they were acting against the possibility of government overreach. Republican Governor Tate Reeves said Friday that he signed House Bill 1509 and it became law immediately. And I quote from Reeves, uh, government shouldn't be in the business of forcing Americans to choose between COVID-19 vaccines and putting food on their tables, sending their kids to school, or visiting small businesses. And I agree 100%. So, you know, if Mississippi's where you want to go, um, that's the place to be. Uh, you know, it seems like it seems like everybody that moves out of California, it really doesn't matter where they go, whether they go to Arizona, whether they go to Utah, whether they go to Montana, whether they go to Texas, um, Mississippi. I actually know some people that moved to Mississippi and they they love it. They love it. I did. I don't think his wife was his cousin, but they, you know, they love it. Um, so they're acceptive of non-vaccinated COVID-19 people. They're accepted of uh, inner inner family tree relationships you know, uh, family trees that look like a palm tree. Mississippi is a pretty wide open space. You know, if, if you're into that kind of thing, um, getting out of California, I don't know. I don't think I go to Mississippi. The humidity is ridiculous. You know, I know it's beautiful, but the humidity is just ridiculous. Uh, now one story I want to talk about, which, um, we've covered quite a bit in depth and that's been the Reedy Creek development project. We hit on that very early on, uh, before it was in the news and uh, before it was big in the news. And um, DeSantis, of course, signed the bill to uh, dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement Project. Well, apparently there's another legal hurdle where that's not really going to happen. And it's due to the fact that there's a bond system in place. And under Florida's Constitution and the U.S. Constitution, they can't dissolve the Reedy Creek um, Improvement Project until those bonds are cleared. Um, I don't know much about how that system works, but I do know that it's going to put a big speed bump and they're not going to be able to dissolve this till something like 2029. Um, so this is here right here. Florida can't dissolve Reedy Creek because it promised bondholders it wouldn't. If you're a Disney fan, then odds are that you've heard about the Walt Disney Company's current fight with Florida. On April 22nd, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill officially dissolving the Reedy Creek Improvement Act. The act let Disney essentially function as its own government, and its disillusion meant that the company will now be beholden to the state for things like permits and necessary improvements. We've covered this in detail. We all know what's going on. The disillusion bill is supposed to go into effect on June 1st, 2023, but many are questioning its legality. And here's the problem. One of the big issues in dissolving Reedy Creek is what will happen to the bond debt that it currently has. Should the district be dissolved, then that debt, which is estimated to be more than one billion dollars, would theoretically be passed on to the, to the taxpayer payers of Orange County and Osceola County. However, according to the bonds that Reedy Creek sold, dissolution of the district could not legally happen until 2029 at the earliest. So. That being said, I'm not going to get into the weeds on this because I really don't understand how the bond system works. Um, 
But who is this quote from? Um, well, let's see what they had to say. By dissolving Reedy Creek, the legislature essentially rewrote the promises made in the district's bond offerings. Instead of bonds backed by a special district with the power to levy up to $30 million in taxes, the property tax bond will be backed jointly by two governments that can only generate a maximum of $10 million in taxes. Instead of a unified utility system with special powers to charge various fees supported by special taxing powers, Utility revenue bonds will be jointly managed by two counties subject to additional taxing and spending restrictions. Both the U.S. and Florida constitutions place strict limitations on the government's ability to impair its own contracts. Under the U.S. Constitution, a state can only impair an existing contract if the impairment is reasonable and necessary to serve an important government purpose. As early as 1866, the U.S. Supreme Court held that once a local government and here's the key, that once a local government issues a bond based on an authorized taxing power, the state is contract bound and cannot eliminate the taxing power supporting the bond. The Florida Constitution provides even greater protection, protection from impairment of contracts. So anyways, in a nutshell, all this hoopla, all this grandstanding, everything that's going on, at best, it doesn't look like they can do anything till 2029. So Disney, it looks like they've got a constitutional and a Florida constitutional uh, right to stay exactly where they're at. You know what I mean? It is what it is. You know, you should have looked into those details, DeSantis, before you really went to went to town on this. But it is what it is. Now, I found this video that is that is that is a little curious because it, it came out six days before the announcement of this whole uh, uh, Department of Truth coming from the Biden administration. And it looks like there's a player behind this that might not be Biden. Biden might just be the puppet for something else because six days before it was released that the Homeland Security was developing a new department to monitor speech and disinformation, the Nazi regime, uh, we found that Obama was stating this. So check this out and see if this doesn't seem like there's uh, some other deep state thing going on or poses a threat to public safety oh let's they rewind it first are concerned about it there now the go. good news is is that almost all the big tech platforms now acknowledge some responsibility for content on their platforms and they're investing in large teams of people to monitor it given the sheer volume of content this strategy can feel like a game of whack-a-mole Still, uh, in talking to people at these companies, I believe they are sincere in trying to limit content that engages in hate speech, encourages violence, or poses a threat to public safety. They genuinely are concerned about it. They want to do something about it. But while content moderation can limit the distribution of clearly dangerous content, it doesn't go far enough. Doesn't go far enough. Now, the good news is, is that almost all the big tech platforms doesn't go far enough. Doesn't go far enough. Then six days later, we have the disinformation campaign. And, uh, you know, Tulsi Gabbard had something to say. You can see this was in her tweet. Biden is just a front man. Obama, April 21st, social media censors. And she's quoting Obama. Don't go far enough. So the government needs to step in and do the job. Six days later. Homeland Security rolls out the Ministry of Truth, also known as Disinformation Governance Board. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, the deep state, the deep state. 
Ah! Okay, uh, let's see what else we have here. Oh, yeah, this one was interesting. Remember Lane Hardy from American Idol? Lane Hardy, you remember him? This guy, this kid? Wasn't he on there like two seasons or something? Well, here's his mugshot. Uh, because in this is what he was doing. He was planting a listening device in his ex-girlfriend's dorm, uh, allegedly. And it says, according to legal docs obtained by TMZ, Lane Hardy is accused of putting a wire in his ex-girlfriend's dorm room. Cops say they can hear what sounds like Lane's voice on the recording when he planted the device. And the recordings he captured include conversations his ex had with her mom about breaking up with Lane. Dude, come on. Come on. Mr. Mr. Lane Hardy here. I, I mean, I don't know. Cops tell us Hardy was arrested on Friday and booked for interception and disclosure of wire electronic or oral communications. A source familiar with the case tells TMZ Hardy allegedly left a listening device in a girl's home to hear her conversation. Uh, so he had a warrant issued for his, uh, issued for his arrest. You know, the thing, Lane Hardy, come on, man. The guy's got a gazillion female fans. This, this is a kid that needs to be sat down and say, hey, hey, dude, 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 don't don't get sprung over this college chick that wants to break up with you. Don't be planning listening devices. Just let it go. Just let it go. There's plenty of he needs the plenty of fish in the sea. Speech. Because this guy, he's got all access to whoever he needs. But, you know, that's the power of the vagina, the power of the vagina. This guy was sprung. He sprung over this one chick. And so he's planning listening devices, getting himself arrested. I don't know, man. Uh, so he posted about it on his own Twitter, on the Twitter. He said, earlier, earlier today, I received a warrant due to allegations made against me and have been fully cooperative with the Louisiana State University Police Department. I understand that my career has thrust me into the public spotlight, and I embrace that wholeheartedly as my entire world belongs to my music and my fans. However, due to the sensitive nature of this allegation, I humbly ask for privacy at this time. I have the utmost respect for the law and will and will assist in their investigation as needed moving forward. And that was Lane Hardy. Doesn't seem like they have much. So they're connecting it to him because they have his voice on the recording. Maybe, 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 maybe. It seems like there might be a defense for that. I don't know anything about that, but it, you know, it is what it is. Lane Hardy uh, allegedly sprung. Uh, parents are suing school officials for helping their kids transition without their knowledge. Now, come on. If you're a parent, wouldn't you be pissed if a school is transitioning your kid without your knowledge? Let's just delve into this and see how far the school went. Um, suit alleges violations of parental rights due to a policy prohibiting staff from sharing information with parents. Two Massachusetts families <coughs> have filed a lawsuit in federal court against public school officials in Ludlow, for failing to inform them of discussions with their children about transitioning from one sex to another. The families are suing for violations of their parental rights stemming from a district policy prohibiting school staff from sharing information with parents about students' discordant gender identity and efforts to promote that identity in school. According to the Massachusetts Family Institute, which is bringing the suit to court, According to the lawsuit, new guidance from Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education was issued to school districts in 2012 after state law was amended to include gender identity as a protected class, according to the Hill. The guidance supplied the school district, uh, provided by the school district, suggests that in some cases, 
transgender and gender non-conforming students may not be open about their gender identity at home because of safety concerns or lack of acceptance. For those reasons, teachers in the state should speak with students prior to discussing their gender identity with their parents. Uh, in the case of one of the families, school officials were actively transitioning their 11-year-old daughter and 12-year-old son without their parents' knowledge and against their wishes, interfering with the parents' right to make mental health decisions for their children. Uh, that was according to Andrew Beckwith, uh, president of the Massachusetts Family Institute. Uh, as we have seen in many instances in recent years, the behavior of some public school officials sends the message that parents do not have the best interest of their children in mind. It assumes that children need to be protected from their parents instead of by their parents. This needs to stop. And incidents like this are exactly why the parental uh, protection rights, whatever bill was passed in Florida. Uh, the other parent, parents Stephen Foote and Marissa Silvestri, obviously not married. Let's get ultra conservative and say that's the root of the problem, right? Uh, parents Stephen Foote and Marissa Silvestri claim their child was encouraged by Ludlow public school officials to adopt a new name and different gender pronouns, according to Fox News. Parents Jonathan Feliciano and Sandra Salmaron, who were also involved in the suit, alleged the school's policy withheld information from parents about their children's gender identity, and it violates their parental and religious rights. Foote and Silvestri allege the teachers encouraged their children to adopt new names and pronouns without parental consent, says the suit filed on Tuesday. They also complained that the school officials told their kids they could use the restroom or locker room that matches their gender identity. Um... You know, that, that, that brings up the whole other, the whole other flip side of the coin. I mean, if you've got an eight-year-old daughter, 12-year-old daughter or whatever, do you want some boy using the restroom with her just because he claims that he's a girl too? You know, that, 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 that puts a lot of things at risk, you know, not to mention it's a lazy defense for some pervert eight, 12-year-old that just wants to go into the girl's restroom and he claims, oh, I'm a girl too. I just, just the whole thing is just nonsense. It is nonsense. It needs to come to a stop. And well, and that's what's going on. That's going on. That's what's going on with that. I did see this, uh, you know, if you, if you grew up when I did in the eighties, uh, Boris Becker, man, in the eighties, nineties, he was just a legend in tennis, man. It was always Boris Becker first Andre Agassi, et cetera. But Boris Becker, apparently he's been sentenced to two years in jail over a whole bankruptcy ordeal. Uh, tennis legend Boris Becker was sentenced to more than two years in prison over bankruptcy offenses on Friday. Earlier this month, Becker was found guilty of illicitly moving hundreds of thousands of dollars from a bank account after declaring bankruptcy. Becker was convicted on four charges of Britain's Insolvency Act, removal of property, concealing debt, and two counts of failing to disclose estate. So he lied in his bankruptcy. He lied in his bankruptcy, and he's facing two years. Uh, I've been involved in stuff here where people lie in their bankruptcy and, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, now this right here, this right here is employee of the week, employee of the week. And I'll tell you why this is a California teacher that didn't give two shits. California teacher arrested for teaching a class while drunk and high cross faded, cross faded employee of the month right here. A California high school teacher was arrested this week after allegedly teaching his class while under the influence of alcohol, prescription drugs, and cannabis. The trifecta. The trifecta teacher. 
Hmm. Tegan Leonhart was booked into Marin County Jail on charges of public intoxication and child endangerment. The incident took place at 11.51 a.m. when a school administrator called the police to report that a teacher on campus was possibly under the influence of drugs or alcohol. A school employee alerted a school administrator that they believed a teacher was under the influence of alcohol or drugs. It said San Rafael Police Department Lieutenant Dan Fink. The administrator went to the classroom where the teacher Tegan Leonhart was teaching. The administrator saw that Leonhart showed signs of intoxication and removed her from the classroom. When officers arrived, they questioned Leonhard. She denied consuming any alcohol. She consented to preliminary alcohol screening tests, which showed she was more than three times the legal limit if she was driving a vehicle. When confronted with the results of the test, she admitted to consuming some alcohol that morning. Fink said it was the opinion of the DRE officer that due to her intoxication level, Leonhardt was unable to care for the safety of the children while they were in her classroom. Uh, so let's give it up to Tegan. Tegan, for giving no fucks about anything, showing up to work, tri-faded, prescription drugs, alcohol, weed, and still giving it that American good old try of teaching these high school students. Way to go, Tegan. Uh, uh, A for effort. I know some people, when they're hungover, drunk, intoxicated, they don't show up to work. They just call it in. Not Tegan. Not Tegan. No matter how fucked up she is, that is work ethic right there, kids. She got in her car, drove drunk to the school because the the, the education of your children was paramount to her. She's a hero. She is definitely a hero. So let's give it up for Tegan. Tegan Leonhart, the drunk teacher, that defied all odds and made it into the classroom. Jeez, this word, this world is just so fucked up, man. I don't know. I don't know. Know when to say when. Know your limits. Just stay home. I mean, she's got union protection. Just stay, stay you have COVID. Stay, say you have COVID. Take off for 14 days with pay. Jeez, just don't. Try faded. Try faded. Three times the legal limit. She was pretty friggin' sloshed. So Jack Dorsey's chiming in once again, and he's struggling to justify Twitter censorship in semi-apologetic thread. This just came in on the 29th. Uh, what he said, what he said, and I'm just going to read his words. I don't care about the rest of the article. He said, Jack Dorsey, who is the founder of Twitter, he said, I have tried taking a break from Twitter recently, but I must say, the company has always tried to do its best given the information it had. Every decision we made was ultimately my responsibility. In the cases we were wrong or went too far, we admitted it and worked to correct. Some things can be fixed immediately while others require rethinking and re-implementing the entire system. It is important to me that we get critical feedback in all its forms, but also important that we get the space and time to address it. All of that should be done publicly. Doing this work means you're in the arena. Nothing that is said now matters. What matters is how the service works and acts and how quickly it learns and improves. My biggest failing was the quickness part. I'm confident that part, at least, is being addressed and will be fixed. It is also crazy wrong that individuals or companies bear this responsibility. As I've said before, I don't believe any permanent ban, with the exception of illegal activity, is right or should be possible. This is why we need protocol that's resilient to the layers above. Uh... Okay, yeah. So he's just saying that, you know, he doesn't believe in the permanent bans on Twitter. Hmm. Hmm. Like Trump. Like, like uh, you know, all the conservative talk show hosts that were permanently banned from Twitter. He doesn't agree with it. So 
Uh, that is what it is. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. This has been Jake with Radio Wonderland News, and uh, it's been it's been it's been nice. It's been quick. It's been quick. We did it really quick. Let's see if I can get something to play us out. Something else from Stagecoach. Who else was really good? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Midland was good. Midland was really good. Um, they're talking about poser preppy cowboys. These guys are these guys are a piece of work, but they sound really really good. So let's close out with this. This is Midland from Stagecoach, and. Uh, AC's broke, but I've got the ocean breeze. I got nothing, but nothing's all I need. Cause it's free. Sitting away, kinda safe out there. Expectations go, and I've got nowhere else to go. Hey.